You're listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, y'all. My name is Octavio Fernandez y Mostajo. My name is Claire Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast 2020. 2020. Uh, 20, yeah, 2020. 2020, yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, today we had a conversation with Catherine Alsdorf who, if you don't know Catherine, she served in a bunch of leadership roles in the tech industry in California, uh, in Luxembourg and in New York. And after that kind of work, she founded uh, Redeemer's Centre for Faith and Work and served there as the Executive Director um, from 2002 to 2012. And that's out of a a church in New York. And the Centre's mission was to mobilise the church to apply the gospel to our work and for us to become agents of renewal in our institutions. Mm-hmm. So we, we talked um, a, a lot about about work and about faith and about how you bring kingdom values mm-hmm. into the work that you're doing. What about if you're not at the top of the food chain mm-hmm. and how do you bring kingdom values into those things? Um, yeah, she's been CEO, VP of marketing and sales. She's been like really up there and she's seen like, the pressure uh, a leader has in in making the company you know work and and making the the big bucks and then then wrestling with her Christian faith and how can she actually uh, you know develop a, a kingdom culture amongst the company and we we asked about that about the ethics about the ethics of sales about marketing about mm-hmm. uh, yeah it, it was it was a really interesting conversation we, yeah we, we've never had a, a conversation with with a CEO before, did we? I don't think so. I think like, or at least like focusing on her, mm-hmm. on her experience as a CEO and mm-hmm. vice president and stuff like that. So this was an interesting conversation we never had before. Mm-hmm. So we hope that you enjoy it. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the Region Podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you That's- this afternoon. It's great to have you. Um, so we're going to be talking about um, sort of issues of vocation and mm. how we kind of implement and how do we think about kind of the kingdom in the various types of work that we're doing in the world. And you are a perfect person to have that conversation with. So we're glad that you joined us. But we thought we'd start with a bit more of a personal question. So you mentioned that when you decided to commit to faith and to give your life to Jesus, you didn't really want to because you didn't want to become like your missionary brother your missionary brother tell us tell us a little bit about that and your fear about being about that well i did not become a christian until i was about 40 years old right and so um there was a lot that was if i was really going to do this was going to be a big change and so work was one of them the christians i knew the most and that prayed for me the most were in my family, I had two brothers who were missionaries, one in Uganda. So it was pretty logical that I would think, oh my goodness, when you submit your life to Jesus and you say, God, use me wherever you want me, that that was an option. Right. And mm. um, I'd been there and I just mm. wasn't really looking forward to that possibility. But it, but it was a very real thing. Um, and I had a big investment in my career. Um, I'd gone to business school. I'd spent, you know, almost 20 years at that point working. So, um, the idea that God might want to call me to something else was a little bit scary. Mm. And honestly, um, it was probably a little bit less noble than all of that. I had a lifestyle that was comfortable mm-hmm. as well. So, mm-hmm. 
the um, idea that my lifestyle might have to um, in some way be compromised was a little bit scary. So, so all of those things, and I think those were right things to think right. about. Um, I think they were fair. I will admit to being somewhat relieved that um, God answered my prayer and called me in some different direction. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, I knew I had to lay it all out there uh-huh. and be willing. Yeah, mm. totally. Mm. So you would, th- you might see that, I guess, in terms of vocation, right? So my next question for you is, how do you understand vocation and if region was helpful with your understanding at all? Yes, actually, I am very indebted to region. Um, I became a Christian, as I said, at around 40. I ran three companies in that time. Each time I felt like I grew a little bit in my faith, but um, honestly, I was pretty busy at work and mm-hmm. did not have a lot of time to take a break and really study and understand all of scripture and what it had to say uh-huh. about my work. So many times I felt like I was just grasping at straws trying to, to think through this. And um, I felt like I had been called by God to my last company, but it failed. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Regent met me in a very unexpected way. The company failed that weekend. One of Regent's faculty, um, Gordon Smith, was at my church in California and doing a workshop on listening to God in times of choice. Uh. And I'm thinking, well, I tried to listen to God, but um, I got to go to this workshop because this really didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And um, from then, I learned that he actually taught at this that had other people and signed up the week that week. Oh, wow. Mm. A spring course that was only days away. Yeah, wow. And um, went right straight up there. And um, so that experience, I did, then did a one-week class. I went back two other times that summer. Um, just, I think my, my first response was, um, pastors, you've been holding out on me. There's mm-hmm. all this deep knowledge mm-hmm. that you learned, I presume at seminary, that I need yeah. in my life. And so don't just tell me what to do. Tell me all the reasons behind what to do. And mm. the gray area, you know, my circumstances are not ones you can anticipate from the pulpit. So mm-hmm. give me the things behind it. And so it's, I felt like it opened up, you know, just the, the world of theology opened up to me um, while I was studying there. It also, I mean, that, that, that would have been plenty. Um, but secondly, um, in one of the classes, it was a leadership class that we watched a film about a leader who had failed. And at the end of his life, he was haunted by this failure. And spent, he really spent his whole life just devastated and haunted by his failure. And I thought, that could be me. That, mm. that I could, you know, just be second guessing what I could have done differently, um, making myself try to feel better about it, feeling miserable about it. I mean, I could have just spent the rest of my life doing that. But watching that film, uh, both the teaching by the faculty member and 
I think what God just worked on me, worked on in my heart was, of course, you're going to fail. We all fail. Mm. We're sinners. We fail. We mess up. Even when we try to do a really good job, we fail. Mm. And the world around us is broken mm. as well. And so um, it just was a radical, I think, deepening of my understanding of what it meant to have a vocation, be called by God into something. And it deepened my understanding of what we're called to in the world and what to expect that we're, we're God calls us to be with people in a broken world. Mm-hmm. And um, so that really opened my thinking. And then, of course, I met Paul Stevens and through him a lot of books and resources and other people that were able to help um, continue to shape yeah. and grow me. So I went to Regent once a year for the next six years. Yeah. Uh, at the, when I first went, I had no idea that I would be called back to New York to Redeemer Presbyterian Church to start a marketplace ministry. Um, and so then and in I'm terms of... to be teaching there now. Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah, say. Exactly. Now, like, now you're teaching with us, which is awesome. Yeah, it's um, sort of a way to give back, I think. Yeah. And so you've mentioned this idea of kind of calling. How would you... Have you got... Have you kind of developed a really kind of clear understanding of vocation? Because I think we use it... We sometimes use it incorrectly to as maybe to mean occupation or how, do, how have you come to sort of like really understand and define what we mean by vocation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have any really, I haven't practiced a pithy answer no, that's good. to that, but <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> I, I think the essence of it is um, the how and the what of using all our gifts and all of our experiences and all the resources that we have in our hand uh, that God's entrusted us with to serve him and his purposes in the world. Yeah. And that could be for money, that could be not for money, that right. could be lowly or highly, or it could be any part of the job. Um, but recognizing how much we've been given, both in gifts and experiences, but also in primarily in his love and grace, mm. um, that then how out of response to that, can we serve in the world? Mm-hmm. So it covers a lot. And, and I have the feeling sometimes that uh, there's some jobs that a lot of people won't believe they can be vocations, mm. like like let's say the cleaning sector or or working at working at you know in a factory. In a factory. Or- I, w- I was thinking about that, and then then I was I was reading. Uh, Articles by you, and then by by the the book that that uh, you co-wrote with with Tim Keller, and one of the things that I said is I'm gonna, I'm going to read it. it. Says the Greeks believed that work that used the mind rather than the body was nobler, less beastly, and that the highest form of work was the cognitive one, and and it's it's crazy how that what that was two thousand years ago or mm-hmm. more maybe mm-hmm. I don't even know the numbers. But it's been a long time since 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 the Greek, and, and I think it's still in in the midst of our society and in our churches. And so, so what do you think about about it? Like, can can something be done? F- I don't know, even from the pulpit, or mm. or what can we do uh, for that mindset to change? Or what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, culturally that influence 
outside the church is still very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's other factors as well. I, you know, I think there's, there's an easiness to um, a white collar life in some ways compared to a manual labor life. But there've been a number of people that have tried to resurrect a value of um, the craft, for example. Mm-hmm. And I think even in the medieval church, the crafts were viewed more highly than they yeah. are today. They were, um, you know, the equivalent of uh, shoemakers and potters and bakers, uh. and uh, the, the medieval church honored more than our, our contemporary culture um, honors. So in some ways, we've reverted back to okay. that um, that Greek thinking that the life of the mind is more important. Um so, so yeah, it's, it's a real thing there. We're all in some way, we, we reinforce it. I think mm. the academia reinforces it because academia is a part of life of the mind. So um, how can we have it be more of a blend, I think is what we really want. We want to encourage the people in thinking jobs to have the joy of using their hands more and yeah. the people in mm. jobs um, given the benefit of inju- using their minds more and um, and really being more holistic about it um, altogether, I think that um, I think that from a church perspective, um, the bigger problem, the bigger issue for the church is seeing any of the work of its people matter except for the work that's done um, inside the church. Mm-hmm. So I think the bigger change we need to focus on for the church is that we are the church. The people who attend are the church. We're not consumers of the church. We are the church. Mm-hmm. When we gather on Sunday, we are having the opportunity to worship together, having the opportunity to be equipped and discipled and nurtured so that we can be the church when we're out in the world. And when we're out in the world, then God gives each of us a multiplicity of jobs to do, work to do, calling, vocations, however you want to describe that. Mm. And some of it will be manual labor and some of it will be using our head more. Um, but all of those are part of um God calling us into a broken world to in some way point to his glory, point to his redemption, point Mm. to um, his hope and love in the midst of that. So I think we just need to be, to summarize, be more holistic in how we're thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that will break down some of that inappropriate, destructive dualism. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to a new student here who just started this term and his best friend is a builder. And he said to him, he, so he's here doing a, a master's program at Regent, this guy, and his best mate is a, is a builder. And he said, if what I'm learning at Regent doesn't make sense to my friend who's a mm-hmm. builder, then I've, I've kind of failed my not, – not, I've sort of failed in what, I've, what I'm wanting to do here. So he's kind of keeping that paradigm and that kind of framework mm. in mind as he enters his – like, you know, talking about the life of the mind and academia and those kinds of things. He's kind of – he's going in with that mindset to help kind of frame and shape the way that he does his academic learning, which I was like, that's a, a, such a great 
Well, that's such a great way to think about it, sort mm. of thinking about the things you're talking about. Talking about, you know, let's talk about like CEOs and managers, people that I think especially in the West work for 14 hours, 18 hours a day. And then you, you were talking when you, when you were like working as a CEO of sales or marketing, uh, like a VP, like working so much that you actually couldn't like study or, or uh, you know, like, like do some theology. And basically, I know a lot of people like, like that. And the only thing they get is Sunday mornings. That's the only thing they get because they work like 14 hours to 18 hours and they have family and kids. So I have no idea how, how they can make that work or how they're doing that. But it's insane. So I don't know. I don't know because you've lived it. And for me, it's brutal. It should be illegal. But, you know. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, your, it's your Latin American ways. It's like, no, there needs like, to be a way more on, siesta. And you got to live. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts about it? I don't know. How, how, you, how do you study the Bible? How do you? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about those thoughts, rants? Um, I, I think I'll respond in a couple of ways. So if you're calling, your job is to be a parent. It's 24-7. True. And your job then, your, your, what you need to do then is find, carve out time for work. Carve out time for worship. Carve out times for your spouse. Carve out times for some amount of community in your life. But there's some jobs that, by definition, are 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, regardless. I mean, yes, there's no question that if you're working on Wall Street or you're working in Silicon Valley, um, it there's an expectation of an exorbitant number of hours in the workplace and it could be to the detriment of your health mm-hmm. it could be to the detriment of a lot of other things but you know if god called you to something if god called you to be a student at regents and you need to study 18 hours a day in order to pass your exam that's what you do um mm-hmm. and i think the que- i think the question isn't um well the limit on our work is Sabbath. God, God says you can work a ratio of basically six days on one day off, but you need to have a full Sabbath. And, um, that requires not just, um, going to church for a couple hours on Sunday, but having mm-hmm. a whole day where you're um, taking off the to-do lists and the responsibilities and the yoke of your work life and saying, I'm going to really dedicate this time to restoration of my body, soul, and mind. And um, worship provides some mm-hmm. of that restoration and that refueling and that, that, that equipping. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we do that well. I don't mm-hmm. think we rest well that then could better sustain us for the seasons in life where um, God's calling might be more hours a day than you might like it to be, mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Now, and it sounds, yeah. that said, I do think culturally we're a little bit out of whack. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
<coughs> Sorry for interrupting your podcast, but Claire Perini has something important to say. This podcast is a ministry of Regent College and relies on the support of generous donors. If you've enjoyed our conversation today or any other day, please consider making a small donation to the college at rgnt.net forward slash give. That's R-R-G-N. <laughs> How do you say R? Uh, uh. <laughs> R. Okay, let me do that again. R G R. Please consider making a small donation to the college at rgnt.net forward slash give. That's rgnt.net slash give. Now, if you really want to make a day, when you donate, there's a comment box. Please leave a note saying that the podcast sent you. Thank you. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of the podcast. I was going to say, I was interested in why you were saying that feeling of, from personal experience, knowing that feeling of failure, and you don't have to go, you don't have to delve into that, but what's, what sort of sustained you as a leader, or what's helped you in those, those, um, those moments of, of failing as a leader, and so you sort of, you were sort of saying teamwork and other things that happened, but has there been things that were helpful for you, and sustaining you as a leader in being kind of vulnerable, and being okay to admit failure, and like, what's, yeah, talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, for me, the most sustaining thing has been really believing that I had uh, spent time with God in walking into that particular role. Yeah. And um, that God wanted me there. And that God knew that there would be obstacles. So, and this, honestly, this goes to my work in the church. Mm-hmm. As much as my work in um, high tech, um, there's as many obstacles, of course, in our work in the church as there are in our work in the world. So yeah. um, it goes with that. So one is you know, knowing that I'm there because he put me there. Mm-hmm. And secondly, um, I think, yeah, expecting brokenness. Mm-hmm. expecting that it, it, it will be hard. Mm. Um, and thirdly, that I don't have to strengthen myself to do it, so I'm pretty dependent. Mm. Sometimes that manifests in, um, you know, just being able to be frank about yeah. this. And, um, you know, it doesn't, you have to be a little bit prudent. And how to do that. No one wants a leader who says, you know, sits in a corner and cries and says, I can't do it. That's, that's not doing your no. role that God has given you. But on the other hand, saying, hey, you know, I'm not strong in this. I really need somebody else to uh, step up and come alongside in this particular area. As we're getting close to the end, I, have, I, I do have questions about, given that you've been the VP of Sales and Marketing, I know there's a lot of a lot of critique about the ways and the strategies that sales departments use in order, you know, to to make the money, right? In in the way they use manipulation, they use I mean, they use a bunch of stuff to get people to buy more, right? The things that you have to buy more for us to survive. So, in 
tons of critiques, but do you have a, a what do you call it? A critique to some some strategies that you would say like that is non-ethical because of this or this or this, or do you have you know things you wouldn't wouldn't ever try to 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 incorporate in in your company uh, that you've seen other companies do? <laughs> a good question. <laughs> um, I mean, number one, I, I I really do want to sell products that I believe in, mm-hmm. and I want to sell them to people that I think could use them. So, um, you know, that sometimes we don't have that choice. And I think of people who call me with telemarketing calls, and I think, what kind of a hard position must your life be in to have to make this call that is absolutely, a, you know, I don't know how you could ever want to sell that product. Um, mm. So, I, you know, I recognize some people don't have a choice there, um, but it's got to be hard. And if you mm. have a choice, sell a product that you believe in and you really think is going to meet someone's needs um, appropriately meet someone's needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but secondly, um, I think that selling is persuasion. There's nothing wrong with persuasion. Um, so where does it become something that feels wrong because sometimes it does feel wrong mm-hmm. for us. but persuasion isn't wrong i want to persuade you that jesus is real uh-huh. i want to persuade you that um you're calling you know there's lots of things i yeah. want to persuade you yeah. that's not wrong i want to persuade you to use some products that i have sold um, in my life um so when does it become less tasteful or even wrong if I lie about my product, if mm. I say I can do things it can't do, it's wrong. I have stretched the truth about my product. When you're doing a new technology and all the features aren't ready yet, I've talked about the features before they were ready and just, all right, engineers, you better have this ready by the time we deliver. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you've got a little bit of a gray area there. Yeah. But, you know, don't lie about, the, about what the product can do. I really didn't like um, advertising or selling by bad-mouthing my competitor or, you know, really being negative about my competitor. I tried to sell by our positive features versus their negative features. Often I had a boss that really pushed back against that and they wanted me to do that um and we live in a culture i mean just listen to a presidential debate in the u.s and somehow it seems like the only thing that sells is can you be negative about your opponent Mm -hmm. so culturally i worry that we're we're we we sell we're getting an expectation of selling ourselves by um, pointing out the flaws in other people. I don't think it's healthy culturally, and I don't think it's healthy for us as companies or businesses to do that. Um, so I would try not to do it as much as possible. Um, but there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, I, I think, I think it would be uncomfortable to sell 
products that you really viewed as healthy for people. Mm. Um, but there are gray areas in that as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, I think it's fascinating because sales has, like you were saying, I love, I love, love the phrase you used, so many gray areas, and it does have so many gray areas. And I haven't like, heard a conversation, like an a extended conversation, theological, ethical, about sales. I, I've actually, maybe it's because, I don't know. Because you're a musician. Maybe, but I've never heard... And musicians never sell anything, so it's... We you know, do, we do money. ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of crazy tactics to sell yourself. Totally. But, so selling, I mean, is, if is you part of everyday those, life. Some huh? of those, some of those uh, videos that go along with your music, you know, that, there's some sales tactics in those that um, are a little offensive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, but it's, it's like everyday yeah. people sell... sell I mean, yeah, everybody's yeah. selling. So I, I, I really, I really want to, want to get deeper into into sales mm -hmm. and, and the ethics and theology and and, mm -hmm. and, and, and yeah, yeah. I, I think that um, ethics sometimes is a tricky word to use because it has so much black or white, right yeah. or wrong connotation, yeah. and um, it's easier to use a wisdom word or. Um, just a, a word that, um, even talking about flourishing, is it, yeah. is it going to help your customer flourish or is it going mm -hmm. to, um, mm -hmm. move in the opposite direction? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I'm, I, I mean, I'm truly worried that we're, we sort of come up, we become pharisaical in saying, um, if you sell this, you're, you couldn't possibly be a Christian. Mm -hmm. And if you, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I just want to, I want us to be a little more nuanced in it. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and then it's these things is it always comes down to a, a matter of discernment and wisdom, doesn't it? It's like it's because it's not, it's not a yeah. black or white. You don't need discernment if it's black or white, you know, or if it's right or wrong, you you do the right, you try and do the right thing, but it's often not right or wrong. And that's why we're discernment and wisdom. And as you say, that kind of going into it, we, we you know, Cognitive, cognitive of God's presence and goodness and kind of overall kind of um, mm. sovereignty and care over the world and that kind of allows And there's a lot of cultural contextualization there. Exactly, yeah. 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 So, you know, white, affluent, Westerner might say, oh, I only buy excellent products that, um, you mm -hmm. know, are made by craftsmen and, you know, somewhere, somewhere else is buying inexpensive Chinese, mm -hmm. whatever that breaks the first time you use it, but that's mm -hmm. all they've got to work with. So mm -hmm. we have to be sensitive to the cultural differences in this area Absolutely. of selling as well. Yes, no, totally. Yep. Just in our like last couple of minutes, you said at the beginning you felt like pastors had been holding out on you, like. It's like I've, I've just I've become a Christian. Oh, you know, I'm just f hearing all this stuff for the first time. Where 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 was this? Where was this before? This understanding of of work and flourishing and all of those things. Can you um just if as we close, if if there are pastors that are listening or church leaders or elders of churches or whatever that are listening and thinking, yeah, okay, we want to. 
we want to be more cognizant of these kinds of things in our church. How would how could they be supporting professionals um, and people just in their even where they're not professionals in their everyday work working in a factory? How can we be doing that in our churches and more effectively? Yeah, I would like pastors to share everything they know. Right. Not just not just synthesize it, but share it all. Learn it, share it, learn it, share it, learn it, share it. Mm. Um, and I think that um, I think that when we launched a bunch of programs through the Center for Faith and Work at Redeemer, and often a pastor will say to me, um, "You know, that's just too theologically." It's too theologically deep for our people. Uh. And um, I've, I've actually, when I've pushed against that, I've found that there is an appetite in most churches. Yeah. Maybe not everyone, mm. but for a, a good number of the people to read the more theologically challenging work to... Mm. Certainly everyone can think through um, a bit the biblical narrative and how we, what, what role we have to play, where we are in God's overall story, and can understand that. Um, I, th- I just think we under, we've dumped it down a little bit too much, yeah. and there's many people eager for more. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, often... Um, you know, people come to me and they they want me to give them a rule. Should I sell this product or that product? Should mm. I um, say these lines in a play? Should mm. I? You know? Right. And you know, I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you any black or white rule answers. Um, I want you to have a much deeper understanding of scripture and a much broader theological perspective and a much deeper relationship with God so that you're um, figuring this out with God and your, the community that you're in yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not just adapting some superficial set of rules as to what a Christian person should do. Yeah, yeah. So many things to think about. Yeah, I have to talk a lot more about this. For and I, sure. I've got a, I've got a lingering question, and I just saw you wrote it down, but we don't have time to talk about it. The difference between manipulation and persuasion, but that's something that we can be thinking about. Um, <laughs> as a, as a, as a, maybe next time you come to Regent, we'll talk more about that. <laughs> but that's it's, Catherine. It's been so great to talk to you. Thanks for battling tech challenges with us, yeah. and um, yeah, for all the thinking Thank that you you're for doing, persevering, and your honesty. Yeah, yeah we really, in the world. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Even our technology. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Thank you so much, Catherine. Love to have you. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Regent College Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit regent.net. That's R-G-N-T dot net.